everybody and welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm Heart Associate Editor and I'm delighted to be joined on this episode of the podcast by Dr. Ramsey Karmis, who is working currently at the National Heart and Lung Institute, Hammersmith Hospital, where he is a honorary consultant and a cardiology research fellow. Uh, Ramsey, many thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, James, and uh, as always, I'm delighted and honoured to speak to you. That's fantastic. And Ramsey, you published uh, with co-authors Tarek Amari and Garda Mikhail uh, recently a really interesting piece in Education in Heart, which was entitled Gender Differences in Coronary Heart Disease. And we also featured this paper recently as one of the first Heart Journal Twitter Club meetings, and it generated a lot of interest online. So I thought it'd be useful to, to discuss it face-to-face, as it were, virtually with the, uh, with the lead author. Uh, Ramsey, how much of a, an issue is this um, in terms of, let's say, the incidence of, of heart disease between men and women? Well, James, uh, thank you very much again for hosting me. And I think the fact that this is attracting a lot of attention highlights really the uh, gap in the research and also in the attention that gender differences in coronary heart disease have been receiving in the past. Well, in, in uh, just to put it in simple terms, CHD which is uh, the abbreviation for coronary heart disease, claimed almost three times more lives than breast cancer in 2014. And that is really something that's striking when you tell, especially when you tell uh, women that they are surprised by that. Mm, Absolutely. Three times more than breast cancer. Yes. I mean, the British Heart Foundation has been telling us for years that CHD itself is the biggest single cause of death in the UK, and that is not different for women uh, than it is for male. In general, women present later in life uh, with coronary heart disease, but still there are uh, victims of it. And I think, in my view, the underestimation of the disease burden uh, is unwarranted and needs to be exposed. Okay. And once uh, once women are affected with CHD, are there differences in outcomes between men and women? Absolutely. I think uh, a very important question to ask here is whether, number one, whether, whether there is difference in outcomes, but number two, if there is a difference in outcome, is whether gender per se is an independent risk factor for these differences. Okay, and what did the studies show us about that, about whether, well, addressing those two questions you just raised, is there anything in the literature that can help us understand that? Sure. Well, I mean, the literature has been conflicting, as it is uh, with many um, uh, kind of presumed risk factors that haven't been extensively studied independently. The, some studies reported that gender is an independent risk factor for worse outcomes, whilst others uh, usually attribute the increased risk to comorbidities, uh, such as, for example, older women being older, uh, but also women having different gender-related factors, such as a smaller vessel size, that's, thus making intervention and surgery on them more difficult. So really, we focused in this um, educational article to explore the major factors that may lead to differences, in particular um, uh, differences in uh, physiology, presentation patterns in uh, diagnoses and management, as well as benefit gained from from interventions and pharmacological therapies. 
But uh, first of all, I think exploring the differences in outcome is important. And uh, the two uh, settings that we focused on here were chronic stable angina as well as acute coronary syndromes. And really, in a nutshell, it seems that the studies from chronic stable angina have been leaning towards saying that women do worse than men, uh, but that is probably not explained by gender per se, but is uh, explained by mainly worse comorbidities, and, and it is mainly age. So in other uh, words, they, it's really the fact, it's driven by the fact that they're presenting maybe 10 years uh, later than, than, than men would be. Well, yes, that's from the um, chronic stable angina uh, data. It seems it seems to be that most of the evidence is leaning towards that. Although there is some evidence in that setting that there is a gender bias in the use of investigations and medical therapy, where women are um, receiving less um, investigations and almost certainly less revascularization. And so, Daily et al was one of the first papers that described that and that was uh, echoed by other studies. That's uh, really interesting and, and very surprising to me. Um, and some of these issues may be related to what you describe as atypical symptoms that, that females sometimes present with. And then this uh, other syndrome, which we know as Syndrome X, is another perhaps uh, something that we struggle with in, in terms of diagnostics. Yes, I mean, kind of moving on to presentation, I think that's actually even a bigger deal in um, acute coronary syndromes where women tend to present with different symptoms. Uh, most women don't uh, really experience chest pain as men do where it's typically central tight radiating to one arm. And a lot of women may describe symptoms that uh, we usually... We have historically referred to as atypical, but I think that's a, a also another thing that needs to change where I think we just need to realize that women present differently rather than atypically. And so they would have uh, stomach pain, maybe breathlessness, as well as constitutional symptoms such as nausea and fatigue rather than the chest pain radiating to one arm. And this symptomatic conundrum, really, which may lead to missing important coronary disease, either in the chronic or in the acute situation, obviously more, more important in the acute situation as it may lead to late presentation ST elevation myocardial infarction, which in turn may delay effective reperfusion therapy, is something that needs a lot of attention and a, a lot more research, a lot more education. And do you think this kind of education is beginning now to, to reach, for example, the public? I mean, the public uh, at large uh, may not recognize those more subtle symptoms, should we say, as something that require medical attention? Well, I, I think there is now a concerted effort uh, in different countries with uh, lots of um, initiatives that are out there to educate both women and physicians about these different presentations. The American Heart Association has uh, an initiative. There is an initiative in the UK which was spearheaded by uh, my co-author, who's the senior author on the paper, Dr. Gada Mikkel, uh, which is the Hair at Heart campaign that is out there also to educate both women and physicians on the uh, importance of recognizing these atypical um, symptoms that women present with. Uh, in terms of research, there's been very little research on the patterns of presentation. The 
interesting uh, insight onto the problem is that women themselves can't really estimate the cardiovascular risk and therefore when they are faced with symptoms they are much less likely to attribute any symptoms that they have to a possible possible cardiovascular problem so one one example of that is the berlin female risk evaluation study the befri study which was a randomized cross-section study that elegantly demonstrated that less than half of urban women correctly estimated the cardiovascular risk and therefore, even if women get symptoms that, let's say, are not atypical, the background of them underestimating the cardiovascular risk may lead to them um, not attributing their symptoms to, to a possible heart problem. Yeah, that's very interesting, although I, I suspect that many men would also uh, underestimate their own cardiovascular risk. But uh, no, it's an interesting study, definitely. Um, just moving on uh, quickly, I mean, there's a huge amount of detail in this paper, and we're really just going to touch on a, a couple of areas. But one area that struck me as particularly interesting that I wasn't aware of was the differences in, in responses that females have to some of the interventions we do, both both uh, pharmacological, but also the issues around stenting as well and vessel size. Um, perhaps you can talk a little bit about maybe the response to statins and, and perhaps the the challenges to, to intervention. Oh, sure. Um so the uh, statin story has been also another minefield uh, where uh, there's been lots of media um, attention on and and especially you know is our our statins useful in 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 women as they are in men well one of the big studies that looked at this is the mega study from the japan which is the management of elevated cholesterol in primary prevention group of adult japanese women and that actually was one of the studies that showed that uh, the reduction events was significant only in men um, rather than women and and this is for primary prevention, Ramsey, or secondary prevention? No, this is for primary prevention, and the primary endpoint was a composite endpoint of first occurrence of CHD comprising fatal, non-fatal myocardial infarction, uh, cardiac and sudden death, and coronary vascularization and angina. Okay. The, 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 but this was really challenged for the first time by the Jupiter study, which had um, quite a lot of women Right in it, so there were I think almost, more almost than seven thousand. I think almost seven thousand. Almost women. seven thousand women randomized to receive a statin versus placebo, and I think there were eleven thousand men in the study. And um, what was really interesting from Jupiter is um, that uh, the the outcomes uh, were similar in both men and women, with significant proportional reduction in CHD. And therefore, I think with Jupiter being such a well-run study, we now know that the effect of statins um, in a population where, I guess, apparently healthy women but had elevated CRP was actually used for inducing uh, coronary events. Okay, so the message would be that uh, that females and males get, you know, we think equal benefit from statins, uh, at least in a primary prevention sense. Okay. Yes. I mean, uh, James, I think this kind of really opens the uh, Pandora's box of doing cardiovascular studies and not recruiting enough women. It's, it's been a real problem where a lot of cardiovascular studies either excluded women or just couldn't recruit women. And therefore, having evidence-based treatments that are specific to women is very difficult because of the historic recruitment problem. Yeah, some gaps in the evidence there for sure. 
And then uh, just finally, as a as an interventional cardiologist uh, yourself, issues around uh, stenting and intervention in females, the coronary arteries are naturally smaller. Um, is there any evidence that this leads to increasing restenosis or other technical problems? Sure. Well, I mean, it's a long story coming from uh, first-generation stents down to now third-generation stents. And actually, the bottom line is that the newest stents, um, so second and third-generation stents, are equally efficacious in men and women. Okay, and, well, that's, that's and, good news. And that's really good news. But there is a growing body of evidence that women do worse in terms of uh, bleeding risk because of for example, uh, and vascular complications, probably because due to um, the more difficult peripheral anatomy. So almost certainly women undergoing cardiac catheterization or PCI, radial access significantly reduces bleeding and vascular complications. So access site is important. And if you can do a radial intervention procedure on a woman, they would be at a much lower risk than if you went um, femoral, like their, their main counterpart. But what would be really interesting is to see whether in the future, whether we would have interventional kit that is specifically designed for women. So maybe smaller sheaths, smaller casters, but also having the therapies that adjunctive therapies that we use in the cat lab, such as antiplatelet agents and antithrombotics, really tailored to women and the response to these agents. Uh, the higher bleeding risk is almost certainly in a lot of cases is due to the fact that these agents are not tailored to women and also to the weight of women. I see. Gosh, that's very interesting. And um uh, real food for thought. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Dr. Kamis, for, for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. The paper, once again, is entitled Gender Differences in Coronary Heart Disease and is now uh, live on the uh, Heart website for anybody to have a look at. Many thanks for having me, James. And uh, as always, I uh, wish you all the best in your future podcasts. Thank you very much indeed, Ramsey. Thank you.